Well, hey, First Church, good to see you guys. Glad that you decided to carve out some time and be with us. And right now we have family meeting out at Stone Canyon as well as others who will be joining us online. So if you would, let's welcome them into our family room here today. Well, I was asked several months ago to be part of this leadership cohort for young ministers who are serving large churches, churches of about a thousand or more. And so I was honored to be asked to be part of this cohort. There's eight guys uh, in it. And so we meet twice a year to just share ideas and discuss what's going on in our churches. And so far, it's been very encouraging. But the only downside to that is I have to take two weeks out of the year away from my family. And if you know me, you know I hate being away from my wife and kids. And a couple of weeks ago, it was our first meeting, our first cohort meeting. So I flew to Baltimore spent the week there and like I said it was very enriching and it was just great but I hated being away from my family and so every night I would call them or I'd FaceTime them and I would talk to them and so I talked to Allison talked to Addie even though she can't really talk yet but still I would see her on FaceTime or whatever and then I would talk to Alex my five-year-old and I would always tell him just three more nights until daddy's gonna be home or two more nights or one more night I would count down and he would say it back to me and it was a lot of fun well Friday night rolled around Friday afternoon rolled around it was time for me to get on a plane and head back to Tulsa and so I got on my plane in Baltimore we're on the runway I mean we're in line getting ready to take off and all of a sudden this huge storm comes upon us the captain comes across the intercom and says we're gonna have to all flights are grounded we have to wait it out and so we wait there for almost two hours for the storm to clear and I knew I was gonna miss my connecting flight and so eventually we were cleared to fly we took off but we had to go a different route they changed our route so which that took even longer and then eventually I made it to Minneapolis which where my connecting flight was supposed to be but the flight was already gone and it was the last flight headed to Tulsa that night for Minneapolis so I'll go up to the counter I'm like what am I gonna do and they said uh, well you can get a hotel or you can spend the night in the airport you have two options basically because the next flight to get you out of here is not till 630 the next morning so I called different hotels and it was gonna be like 120 bucks that night it was already late anyway I was like well it's gonna be a new experience I'll just spend the night in the airport and that's exactly what I did I took the complimentary blankets and pillows that my airline gave me and I spent the night in the airport and so I called Allison and told her what was going on, and I was disappointed. wasn't really mad or frustrated, but disappointed because I was excited to see my family. But I was also not looking forward to telling them that I wasn't going to be with them. I already told Alex, you know, I was on my way home. And so I call him up, and I tell him, I tell Allison, then I said, let me tell Alex. And she's like, okay. So she puts Alex on the phone. I was like, buddy, daddy's not going to be home tonight. And he goes, really? And he's just real disappointed. I said, yeah, I'm going to have to spend the night in the airport. And he goes, that is so cool. And and I'm like, well, maybe for you, not for me necessarily, maybe for you. And then he said, make sure you take lots of pictures. I mean, he was just so excited. And so I decided to document my night in the airport with selfies. And I sent them to Allison for her to share with the kids. And you guys care, don't you? I thought I'd share them with you as well. So here's the first picture of me in the airport, if you want to take a look. Now, you can tell it's empty. There's like one guy walking behind me. He was a worker, by the way. Normally, if you're in this airport during the day, I mean, this place is packed. But there's just it's me and this other guy, basically. This next picture is me being disappointed because all the stores are closed. There's nothing for me to do. I'm kind of bored, and so I'm showing them a picture of that. In this next picture, I'm hanging out with my buddy Snoopy. Uh, again, there's nothing for me to do. I thought Alex would enjoy that picture. I don't know why they have a statue of Snoopy in the airport, but they do, and so I took a picture with it. Now, this next picture shows the makeshift bed that I made. These are the complimentary pillows and blankets that my airline gave me, and I found the bench over in a corner, well-lit corner of a waiting area, and I made me a bed for the night, and so that's where I slept, and this picture is of me the next morning after I attempted... <laughs> 
to sleep on that bed. But you know what? I survived. I made it. And um, I use the word sleep loosely because I didn't get a lot of sleep that night. But still, I survived. I made it. But my traveling problems, well, they weren't over yet. Finally, that morning I left. They took me to Atlanta for a connection. And I got on a flight in, in, in Atlanta to go to Tulsa. And when I got on the flight, I had an exit row seat. I thought, this is going to be great. Plenty of legroom. Love exit row seats. And then the lady who was sitting beside me came in. She's a nice lady, but she was carrying all this baggage and stuff. And she had a 44-ounce Diet Coke and she dumped it in my lap. I mean, she poured it all over me. So I rode back to Tulsa with Coke on my pants, you know, the entire way. And then I got here, and the very next day, well, by the way, they lost my luggage. That was another thing. When I got back to Tulsa Airport, they lost my luggage. Probably could have guessed that was going to happen. So then I got here. The very next day was Sunday. I wasn't preaching that Sunday. Matt was, because I was gone the whole week. Uh, so I decided I was going to go to Stone Canyon, visit our family out there at Stone Canyon. Hey, guys. I was going to go out and visit them. And when I uh, got in my car that morning, to leave to go to Stone Canyon. I was going to leave like half an hour early. I have plenty of time to visit with them. Turn my key. Click, click, click. Battery's dead. So I couldn't drive my car. Allison took me to our North Garnett campus where I was going to borrow one of our vehicles to drive to Stone Canyon. Get in the first vehicle, out of gas. Lights on, out of gas. Get in the second vehicle, I kid you not, flat tire. I, I was ready to give up. You know, it was obvious that I was supposed to travel anywhere. I was supposed to stay home. But eventually I got in a vehicle that did have everything it needed. And I took off, went to Stone Canyon, visited with them, uh, came back here for second service, visited with you guys. And then the very next day, I'm out with my family. I kid you not, I locked my keys in my car. I did. On Monday, I locked my keys in my car. Thank you, Matt Thomason, for going to my house and getting a spare set of keys so that we could, uh, we could go again. But after that, I haven't any more problems. But you know, what started off as a great trip to Baltimore ended up in a rough couple days. And let me just ask, has anybody in the room ever had a bad day or a couple of bad days in a row? Anybody ever had that? Yeah, I think everybody. None of us are exempt from having bad days. I remember when I was a kid in grade school, there was a book that a teacher read to me entitled Alexander and, his, and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. And I remember over and over again in this book, Alexander, the main character, he just kept saying every time something bad would happen to him, it was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I think we've all been there. We've all had days like that, maybe a series of days like that. Some of our bad days are worse than others, but still, we've all had rough days. And this morning, we're going to look at a guy in the New Testament who wasn't just having a rough day, but who was having a pretty rough life. In fact, if you were to ask him to describe his life, he would probably say it was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad life. And no one would have said this guy was exaggerating. That was the truth. We're introduced to this man in Luke chapter 5. If you have your Bibles or a Bible app on your phone or tablet, if you have our First Church app, you can go there and look at it. But in Luke chapter 5, we're introduced to this guy. In verse 12, listen to what Luke says about him. Luke writes, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. Now, we actually know very little about this guy, but what we do know about him is enough. Luke says he's covered in leprosy. Now, Luke was a medical doctor, and the terminology he used there in the Greek means that he had an advanced case of leprosy. That's all we really need to know. Because if you were diagnosed with leprosy in the first century world, your life, as you knew it, was over. 
Being diagnosed with leprosy was a huge deal. This is what would typically happen. The first sign or symptom would be numbness or weakness in your joints. Then after that, different sores and dead spots of skin would pop up all over your body, first on your body, then on your face. And eventually, these decaying spots of skin would smell, and they would smell really, really bad. After some time, you would experience a loss of sensation throughout your extremities, meaning you couldn't really feel pain anymore. Now, you might think that's a good thing, not being able to feel pain. Not really. I mean, if you or I, if we were to put our hand to a hot stove, yes, it would hurt, we would feel pain, but the damage would be minor because we would jerk away immediately because we can feel pain. A leper in the first century world, if they put their hand on a hot stove, the only way they would realize what was going on when they started to smell burning flesh wasn't a good thing to lose the sense of pain. And then eventually your vocal cords would hemorrhage and all your other internal organs would be affected. Leprosy was a miserable disease that would over time cripple your entire body. But as bad as the physical consequences were of having leprosy, I think the emotional and psychological scarring was even worse. Because you see, leprosy, it was extremely contagious so this is what had to happen anytime somebody was diagnosed with the disease. They were kicked out of their community. They were told to leave. And they had to pack up all of their stuff and they had to go live in a leper colony. And here's the thing. Once you started to see these spots pop up and you knew you had it, you knew what the next step was. You immediately packed as much stuff as you could before your community kicked you out. And you couldn't kiss your wife goodbye for the last time for fear of infecting her. You couldn't hug your kids one last time before you left. You couldn't go to your place of work and shake everybody's hand and say best of luck to you. You had to get out of town. You had to leave fast. And as you walked miles outside of your community to go to this leper colony that was away from everything else, you knew you would probably never have human contact again. Besides the other lepers that were with you, but even them, they made sure they didn't touch one another in fear that the disease may progress even more. You knew you would probably never be touched, hugged again. You never get to shake somebody's hand, never give a high five again. Human contact was over. And can you imagine being in that spot? Can you imagine what a sad life that would have been? Now, on rare occasions, lepers were allowed to leave their colonies to go into town to buy food or supplies. But even then, you weren't allowed to be around people. Lepers had to wear bells around their necks so that people could hear them coming from a mile away so that when they heard those bells, they could get out of the way of these lepers. Also, if a person with leprosy saw another person, they had to shout out, unclean, unclean, and everybody else would start to yell it out too. Unclean, unclean, so that people could get out of the way. Imagine having to live like that your entire life. Lepers lost their spouse, their kids, their friends, their job, their reputation, their social position. They lost their hands, their face, and eventually their lives. And in that society, they were considered the worthless wounded. Everybody felt sorry for them, but nobody dared come near them. Nobody thought they could do anything to help them. People with leprosy in the first century world were considered the untouchables. Can you imagine how they felt? They were as good as dead, yet still very much alive. And they knew. They knew they were unapproachable. They knew they were unlovable, untouchable, undesirable, unwanted. 
And if any of you have ever felt unwanted for any reason at all, you know how horrible that is. I mean, maybe you were cut from a team at one point, or maybe you were let go from a job, or maybe you didn't get a promotion for a job that you thought you had earned or deserved. Maybe you were rejected for a date. Maybe on a more serious note, maybe you had a spouse who left you. Maybe your parents didn't show you the love that they needed to show you as you were growing up. Maybe you were betrayed by someone you cared about, a friend, a close friend, or a relative. Maybe you just have had moments in your life where you have just felt as if you don't fit in, that you're all alone. And when you feel unwanted, it sucks the life right out of you. And probably many of us listening to this message today have felt that way before. And if you times that by a thousand, that's what a person with leprosy felt like in Jesus' day. No one wanted to go near them. No one wanted to be around them. Even the religious leaders wouldn't go around them because they wanted to keep themselves pure and undefiled. And here's the thing, just by coming in contact with the leper, whether you were infected or not with the disease, whether you caught the disease or not, just by coming in contact with a person with leprosy, you had to go into seclusion for a while to make sure that you hadn't caught it. And so you had to live away from everybody. You weren't allowed to worship or anything like that because a fear that you might have caught the disease. So even the religious people wouldn't come near them because they didn't want to be kicked out of worship. They didn't want to be considered dirty, unclean people. Everybody wanted to get away from a leper as fast as they possibly could. Everybody that is except Jesus. And in our passage... Jesus crosses paths with this man who has leprosy. And verse 12 goes on to tell us that when this man saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, begged Jesus, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now here's the thing. Most people wouldn't get close enough to a leper for them to even recognize them. But I think that's a telling statement. It says that when this man with leprosy saw Jesus, Jesus allowed this man to get close enough to him that he could recognize him, that he could figure out who Jesus was. And then when the man approaches Jesus, Jesus doesn't run, he doesn't flee, he doesn't shoo him away. See, this man honestly could have been arrested for approaching someone like this, or like this, or like that in that manner. Jesus doesn't do that. Because, you see, Jesus intentionally walked among people everyone else avoided. As you study the life of Jesus throughout the Gospels, what you will discover is Jesus intentionally walked among people everyone else avoided. Jesus engages this man. And probably everybody else watching this scene at a distance, because no one wants to be near him, but everyone else watching this scene unfold, they were probably shocked. I mean, I'm sure among the crowd that was there, you could have heard a collective gasp. <gasps> What's going on? Nobody allows a leper to approach them like this. But you see, when everyone else stepped back, Jesus leaned in. I once heard someone say, only when you get close enough to catch people's hurt will they be close enough to catch your love. I love that. Only when you get close enough to catch people's hurt will they be close enough to catch your love. And that's exactly what happens in our passage. See, this man with leprosy, he asked Jesus a question. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Here's the thing. This man knows who Jesus is. 
I don't know if he's been following Jesus for a round. I'm not sure if he's heard the rumors about him. I'm not sure how he knows. But he knows Jesus is a man sent from God. He knows Jesus has the power of God on him. He knows Jesus has the ability to make him clean. And so he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. But here's the thing. The guy with leprosy, he knows Jesus has the power, but he's not sure if Jesus is willing to do it. Because this man isn't even sure if God cares about someone like him. No one else does. So why should God? And Jesus came to answer the eternal question of whether or not God cares. And Jesus came to let this man and every one of us know that in God's eyes, no one is undesirable. No one is unwanted. No one is untouchable. And look and see what happens. Verse 13 says that Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, Jesus said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now this is a really cool moment. If you're witnessing this take place, man, what an awesome scene. But I don't want us 2,000 years removed from this moment to miss what happened here. You might be thinking, how are we missing what happened? I mean, God had leprosy, is a miserable life, is a horrible life. He meets Jesus, Jesus heals him. How cool is that? How are we missing what happened here? Well, what I'm talking about is I don't want you to miss how Jesus healed the man. Because I had heard this story over and over again growing up in church, and it wasn't until recently that it really hit me how Jesus healed this man. Did you catch what the text says? It says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Now we're dealing with Jesus here. Jesus didn't have to touch this guy to heal him. Jesus could have just spoke the word and the guy would have been healed. In fact, Jesus did that on occasion. We have New Testament examples of Jesus just speaking the word and somebody was healed. There were times that Jesus spoke the word and somebody was healed who wasn't even in his presence, who lived at a great distance from him. I mean, Jesus could just speak the word and somebody be healed. We know that. Jesus could have just prayed a prayer and the guy would have been healed. Jesus could have just thought the thought and the guy would have been healed. Jesus didn't have to touch this man. So why did he do it? Because Jesus knew what this man needed the most. Even before this man asked for help, asked to be healed, Jesus knew this man needed to be touched. And what's interesting is the Greek word that says Jesus reached out and touched him and in the case of Jesus, grasped onto him. He held him. Because this man hadn't felt human touch for years. I mean, think about it. He has an advanced case of leprosy. It had probably been years, if not decades, since someone had touched him. Since someone had given him a high five, since someone had shook his hand, since someone had given him a hug or a kiss or embraced him or reached out to him in any possible way. I love what Max Lucado says about this scene in his book, Just Like Jesus. He writes, unworthy of the touch of a man, yet worthy of the touch of God. I mean, can you imagine living this life? Last night I was watching UK play football. By the way, we won. We're now 4-0. and I am shocked but excited. We are 2-0 and in the SEC. We beat Mississippi State, the number 14 team in the country. I know you don't care, but I do. And I am pumped about that, okay? 
But I'm watching this game with my family. Addie went on to sleep, but Alex and Allison are there. My good friend, CJ, who preaches out in Coweta, he's from Kentucky as well. He was there, and we're watching this game. And every time UK would do something great, I would just give CJ a fist bump. That's kind of our thing. We give each other a fist bump anytime something good happens. Alex, at times, he'd come up and give me a high five. And I would sit there on the couch beside Allison, and we're, you know, right next to each other. Sometimes I would hold her hand, and she'd brush me away. But anyway, but we, we'd sit there, you know, together. And I just think of all those moments of a fist bump or a hug or just brushing another person. A leper... Like this guy, he would not have experienced any of that for years, if not decades. And Jesus knows what this man needs. No man, no woman would touch him. But the God who created him was willing to touch him. Jesus was letting this man know he mattered to God. You may go unnoticed by everybody else. Everybody else may run for you, but not God. You're noticed by God. God's paying attention to you. See, Jesus came to show the world that God touches the untouchable and loves the unlovable. And no wonder this man felt comfortable running up to Jesus. He had heard about Jesus. And he knew that even though he was considered untouchable and undesirable by everyone everywhere, Jesus was different. And here's the thing. As Jesus' followers, we're supposed to have his same heart Because every single day we brush up against people who are ignored and overlooked by everyone else. And God has placed us in the world to let everyone know there's hope for everyone. And that's the message I hope that you walk away from more than anything else that you hear. I hope you walk away with that today. Because there is hope for everyone. No matter what your story may be, no matter what story you may have been living Your past doesn't have to define your future. God has a better story that he wants to write for you. So whatever your hurts, habits, or hang-ups, Jesus has the power and the ability to help you, to heal you, to make you whole. Because here's the thing, Jesus loves us where we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. He came to clean us up. And so no matter what people think of you, no matter what labels have been placed upon you, you are not undesirable, you are not unlovable, you are not untouchable, you're God's one. Meaning you're one that God loves. You're one that God died for. And sometimes we can go to church week after week and hear stories about how God loves everyone and we think it's everyone but us. And I don't want you to walk away today thinking that. You're God's one. Jesus came for you. He died for you. Now, companies and businesses in our culture today, they know the importance of marketing and branding. In fact, most successful companies have some type of emblem or logo or image that they want to put out there, that they want to implant in your brain so that you can identify their company or identify their product. And you guys know this to be true. In fact, I've got some examples. And as I put these different images uh, before you, if you would just shout out what this image represents, what it stands for. And so here's the first one. I know we're all going to get this one. It's pretty easy. Okay, so real, real loud together, what's this image stand for? McDonald's, right? Okay, let's all get together. Wake up. If you're asleep, now it's time to wake up, okay? McDonald's, right? We all recognize those arches. My son recognizes those golden arches from a mile away. He can't read the word McDonald's, but he knows the arches. And you guys have kids and grandkids. You know that's true, okay? How about this next one? What does this image represent? 
Apple, right? Apple computers, uh, Mac, all that good stuff. You, you guys who have iPhones or I, uh, iPads, you know that's the little emblem that pops up every time you turn on your device, okay? How about this one, real loud? Chevy, good, right, Chevrolet, in fact, in the office we were talking about different emblems or logos that I could put up, and as we were talking about it, Zeb said, Zeb Myers, our love 918 director, he said, you got to put Chevy up there, he said, if you do in the service I'm in, I'm going to shout out, like a rock, well, obviously he's not in this service, so maybe he'll do it next service, I'm not sure, but yeah, Chevy, we all recognize that one, okay, how about this one? Facebook, good, yeah, we all probably have that little icon on our phone, we, we recognize it. Well, interestingly, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, when he launched his radical, revolutionary movement and mission, he put forth an image that would define who he is and who he wanted his followers to be. It's this. You know it. It's the cross. This is an image that says you are loved. This is an image that says God's grace is greater than your sin, your past, your brokenness. This is an image that says God loves you so much he was willing to leave heaven, to come to earth as a man in order to stand in your place to pay the debt of your sin so that you could be made new and live, live a new life in him. This is an image that says all are welcome, nobody is too dirty, nobody is untouchable, no one is un too unclean to come to me. This is an image of love, of grace, of forgiveness that is offered to the entire world. And here's the thing, when you accept the cross for yourself, when you accept Jesus' sacrifice as your own, this image becomes the image of your life as well and of my life. We are a people who are supposed to be going out and letting others know that they are loved, loved by us and loved by God. We are those who are supposed to be putting ourselves last in order to serve other people. We're supposed to be lifting others up instead of putting them down as the world often does. And that's why in 1 John 3, 16, it says, this is how we know what love is. Christ gave his life for us. We too then ought to give our lives for others. Did you catch that? Just as Jesus laid his life down for us, we are to lay our, life down, our lives down for one another, for others, to show them the love of Jesus. Those of us who have experienced the radical love of God should be willing to radically love those who are far from God. And let me ask, is that what the church is known for in our culture? Is that what we're known for? If you go to the untouchables, in our society today, would they say that's what the church is known for? Now, when I say untouchables, that's not what I'm calling them because I believe no one's untouchable. But we know in our culture today, there are people who others consider untouchable, who others don't want to go around, don't want to be around, don't want to associate with. You know that's true. And sometimes when we go through a series like this, Who's Your One?, and we talk about who's the one out there you need to reach, you know, we think of a friend who we're close to who just doesn't know Jesus. That's fine. We should be thinking about those people. But sometimes those ones that we're missing are those that are being missed by everybody else as well because no one wants to go around them. No one wants to be near them. And I wonder if those individuals know what the church is really all about, what we're really all about. Because I'm afraid in many churches, because of tradition or preference or selfishness or whatever you want to say, 
many churches, many Christians have replaced this image with this one. The image of a scarecrow. This is an image that says, get away. This is an image that says, you're not welcome here. Yes, the image of a scarecrow, the silhouette of a scarecrow is similar to that of the cross, but it's very different. This is an image that says, don't come in and mess up what we have going on. Don't come in to our club and ask us to step outside of our comfort zones. Don't come in if you're not going to listen to the same type of music we listen to or dress the same way that we dress or talk about the same things that we talk about. Don't come in here unless you're willing to change first and be like us. That's what this image says. This image says, get out, you're not welcome here. And honestly, and I just want to be real with you guys, I have visited some churches where they might as well put scarecrows up everywhere. Because you walk in, and unless you're part of their club, you are not welcome there. And I've known some Christian people, they might as well put scarecrows up in their front yard because they're very judgmental, very negative, cynical towards people. They might as well put scarecrows up. But this is the polar opposite of who Jesus is. And if your church experience in the past has been more this, then I want to be the first one to say I'm sorry. Because that's not who God is, that's not who Jesus is, that's not who this church is. Jesus came to love the unlovable. He came to touch those who are untouched. He came to approach the unapproachable. Jesus came to let everyone know, no matter their past, there's hope for them because they're God's one. They're loved by him. And guys, he expects us to have the same attitude because there is someone in your life waiting for a touch. There's someone in your life right now who feels unloved, unfulfilled, unsatisfied, who's lonely, who's desperate, who's afraid, who's empty. There's someone who's waiting to hear they're God's one, waiting to hear you say to them, you too are God's one. You too are one who are loved and cherished by your creator. You too are one who matters to him. And that's why I love how this passage ends. If you want to pick up with me in verse 14, look at how Luke chapter 5 or this story of Jesus healing this man with leprosy ends. Verse 14 says, Then Jesus ordered him, after he healed him, then Jesus ordered him, Don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and, the, and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet, the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear Jesus and to be healed of their sicknesses. Now this is interesting. Jesus says, okay, don't tell anybody what just happened. You know why Jesus said that? Because his time hadn't yet come. And he's afraid. I mean, this is a pretty huge miracle. He's afraid that if word gets out that one of two things are going to happen, either people are going to want to make him their physical king and he didn't come to be that type of king, or others were going to get jealous of him and try to kill him, which eventually did happen. So Jesus says, don't tell anybody yet. My time hasn't come. The world doesn't need to know yet because I still got some things I need to do first. And yet, what happens? This guy goes out and tells everybody to the point that people were flocking to Jesus. It's interesting. Jesus tells this man not to tell anybody, and yet he tells us to tell everybody. And yet, sometimes we're quiet, and this guy couldn't keep it in. You know why I think this guy couldn't keep it in? Because when you've been touched with that type of love, you can't keep it in. You can't shut up about it. 
That type of love is contagious. It just overflows from you. You gotta tell everybody about that type of love. This man couldn't help it. How do you keep something like that under wraps? How do you stay quiet about something like that? Whenever you experience the love of Jesus, whenever you're touched by God in this way, you can't shut up about it. And growing churches are churches that are making an impact on their communities because they're churches that can't shut up about what God is doing in their lives. And here in our church, we have tons of people who Jesus has fastened onto and has lifted them out of their depression, their grief, their addiction, their loneliness, their emptiness, their hidden sin, their family dysfunction, their selfishness, and whatever else. And He has replaced all those things with a real kind of hope, an eternal hope, all because they've been touched by Him. And if that's the case, we need to be letting the world know about it. Because once you get touched by Jesus, it's contagious. Because here's the thing. Jesus' life, it's always more contagious than your sickness. It's always more contagious than your sin. It's always more contagious than your brokenness. Jesus isn't afraid of our struggles. He isn't afraid of your sickness. His life is always more contagious than whatever you're dealing with right now. You just got to let him reach out to you. And the thing is, as his church, we've got to be reaching out to others to bring them to him. And I love that that's what our church wants to do. I was having a conversation this week with our Stone Canyon campus minister, Jake Follis. And again, I mentioned Stone Canyon a lot this morning, but hello again. He shared the story with them last Sunday, and he sent it to our, he sent out an email to our staff, and I asked him if I could share it with you guys. And he said, sure. Every single year at Stone Canyon Elementary, which is where our campus meets, they have a grandparents' day. And so a lot of volunteers from our Stone Canyon campus, they will uh, get golf carts and they will drive the grandparents, they pull in the parking lot, they would drive them to the school because it's a pretty good day distance to walk and so just a nice thing that they do every year for the grandparents on grandparents day well there's just one lady who every single year a grandma she will tip her driver now we don't ask for that we actually tell them not to but she will she will tip her driver and this year she tipped her driver a $100 bill and Jake said in the past you know he's just put it back in the offering or whatever but this year he decided to do something different with it and as he's telling me the story now mind you, he's already sent out the story to the staff in an email but then he looked at me and said I hope that was okay and I'm like yeah it's fine he said instead of putting the offering I did something else with it he said I went to a teacher in the school and I said listen I know you guys are having a book fair today because it's grandparents day and grandparents will come and buy you know books for their kids or parents will send their kids with money and he said my daughter she loves the book fair she always comes home all excited but he said I've always thought I bet there are kids who don't have a grandparent who shows up or who their parents didn't give them money and so everybody else gets books but they don't if you would just identify those kids today who don't go home with any books and divide up this money and give it to them. I think that's a better use of it. And so the, uh, the school employee said, yeah, sure, we can do that. And so they identified 12 kids. Somebody else put an extra $20 so that each kid could have $10. And they brought in these kids, and they basically said, you got $10, get whatever you want at the book fair. And some of these kids looked at them and said, but I don't have $10. They said, yeah, you do. You've got $10, it's taken care of. Go, go get you something. 
And apparently there was such joy on these kids' faces that it touched many people who were involved with this. The kids were just so excited. Hey, there were some kids that immediately went and bought the biggest thing they could buy for $10, you know? And then there were others that were very careful with how they spent their money. And, and I, how many more dollars do I have left? You know, and they would get several things, as much as they could. But these kids were so excited and had smiles on their faces because someone noticed them. Someone said, we're looking after you. We're paying attention to you. And those kids would have gone unnoticed. Guys, we live in a world where people go unnoticed every single day. I was having a conversation with a guy just the other day who has a very, uh, who has a nice job and has a nice place to live, but he says he goes home and he feels like that he's in a prison because he's so lonely. We live in a world today where people are just so lonely and they feel so unnoticed and they feel unwanted and untouchable and that's why the church is here. Because at one time, Jesus touched us when we didn't deserve it and now we need to extend that to those who need it. Let's do the same for others. And so let me ask once again, who's your one? Maybe you've already started investing in someone who's a close friend of yours who just doesn't go to church. That's great. Keep investing in that person. But is there someone else in your life who everyone else is ignoring and you've been ignoring too? Who's that one? Who's that one who you need to grab, grasp onto, and let them know they're God's one? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for reaching out to us. When we didn't deserve it, you reached out to us and let us know that we're not undesirable, that we're not untouchable, that we're not unwanted, but we are loved by you, that we're your one. And Father, we just pray that we can share that news with everyone else because there's not a person on the face of the planet who isn't loved by you, who you don't want to come home to you. But in order for that to happen, we've got to be those who reach out to them. So Father, I lift up this church. May we take our mission, our responsibility seriously. May we be known as people of the cross. And Father, if there's anyone today listening to this message who doesn't know your son, Father, I want them to know that he's going to reach out to them today. So Father, give them the encouragement, the strength to seek him out today. Father, we just love you so much and it's through your son, Jesus Christ's name, that I lift up this prayer. Amen.